Hello everyone, I am Anna Bishler. I am a pharmacist in the Medicines Use and Safety team at um, SPS, the Specialist Pharmacy Services. Um, and in the next few minutes, together with my colleague Emma, um, we plan to have explore the opportunities of using patient engagement and patient-held resources uh, to support the safe use of time-critical medicines. We are fortunate enough to be joined by Bryony and Sarah, who between them have done extensive uh, medication safety related research. And we plan to use their experience and expertise to discuss the evidence behind the concept and the outcomes from their research to inform how we as medication safety activists can take steps ourselves to tackle uh, safe practices in relation to medication safety. We're also fortunate enough to have with us Mike. Mike was a patient representative in the research team exploring the use of patient-held resources, and he will give us that invaluable patient voice on the subject. So I'm going to ask everybody talking to introduce themselves. Emma, if you could start. Hi, my name's Emma Kirk. I work um, in the Medicines Use and Safety team at SPS with Anna, and I'm also the MSO network lead. Hello, I'm Bryony Dean Franklin. I'm Professor of Medication Safety at UCL School of Pharmacy um, and I'm the Director of the NIHR Northwest London Patient Safety Research Collaboration and I'm a pharmacist by background. Hi, I'm Sarah Garfield and I'm a lecturer at UCL School of Pharmacy. I'm a lecturer in medication safety, but particularly looking at patient and care involvement in medication safety and I'm also a pharmacist by background. Hi, I'm Mike Etkind. I'm a patient taking three shortly to be four medications. I'm a public contributor on the PrimeMed project and I co-chaired the advisory group. Thank you very much, everyone. So, Sarah, if we can start with you, um, as the lead for these studies, could you briefly talk us through what prompted you to explore this topic and why it relates to safety of time-critical medicines? Yes, yeah, so the um, impetus for actually exploring this topic was came directly from um, our patient and carer representatives that we work with and had worked with on other projects and we had a patient who um, was taking lots of medicines polypharmacy very complex and a carer who um, managed the medicines on behalf of the person that they were caring for and they both um, put out this as a really big issue that it was really important for patients and carers to be carrying information about medicines so that any that they came in contact with would know what medicines they or the person they cared for was taking. So that's what prompted us to um, explore this topic and it's particularly relevant obviously for time critical me medicines because if people are moving one from one setting to another particularly if that's unplanned or an emergency situation then any medicines that it's really critical for them to be given at the right time if people healthcare professionals or others don't know that they're taking them they're not going to get those medicines and that's going to have a detrimental effect on their health. Absolutely. It's something that we see frontline quite a lot. Um, so thank you, Sarah. Just before we go into the, the findings of um, those research works, I think it's good to note here how you had the involvement of a patient voice in the study design. Um, so can you just talk us through the importance of that and what benefit you saw? Yes, yeah, so um, really patients were involved throughout this project. So to begin with, as well as it being something that was 
asked for and identified as a need by patients. The patients, we had people who were then worked up the design of the study as co-applicants. We had um, other people join in the advisory group and they helped us in terms of, well, our patient facing materials, but much more than that in terms of how to recruit patients who to recruit um, and how best to get a re um, representation from different types of patients and carers. They also um, directly fed into how we design the study, um, what, how we answer this question. And they also were involved in monitoring, managing the work. As Mike said, he was a co-applicant on the um, um, a co-chair, sorry, of the grant. So he, of the advisory group, so he was very active in checking the agendas of the meeting, checking that the patients on that advisory group would have the voice um, of what was being discussed. So that was really important to us as well. Um, and then when we came on to the analysis, you know, the we had our patient representatives who looked at these interviews from a patient perspective and possibly picked up some slightly different things than we were looking at it from a healthcare professional perspective. So that really helped in making sure we had everyone's perspectives into the analysis of our findings and also in terms of the dissemination of the project and making sure that um, it went to patient groups and the right things were included in our published paper as well. So really absolutely vital to the whole project. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, it's so important having that different perspective to, to have that input. Mike, did you have any words that you just wanted to add there? Yes, well, I can certainly add that the patient input was very much listened to. Uh, this was one of my first ventures into PPI, patient public involvement, and as such, it was very educational for me, especially as Sarah and Sarah and Bryony handled it so well, and it spurred me on to several other PPI roles. Um, it's also led me to put all my medical information on the Evergreen app, and I also discovered the medical ID button on my iPhone, which allows the emergency services to access the basic medical information I've put on it, in including my medication. That's fantastic that it's had such a personal um, impact on yourself and, and good that that's something that you can share and, you know, not only in this research, but share, um, you know, personally as well. Um, it's fantastic to hear and I, and I am sure uh, all those perspectives that you inputted into the research were just absolutely invaluable. So, because at the end of the day, the patients are at the, you know, the patient's care is at the end of this. Um, Sarah, your work that actually has demonstrated the benefits of it, engaging the patient and, and having these patient held um, records. But I'm just aware that there's probably going to be healthcare professionals here listening to this who will be asking why there is a need to push this when the NHS is very much focusing on initiatives such as NHS summary care records. So perhaps now would be a good time if you can talk us through the outcomes of your work and the benefits that you identified. Yeah, so summary care records are obviously very important and all the healthcare professionals in the room will um, know about them and be using them. The thing to note about summary care records is that they only have the medicines on that are prescribed by the GP practice. So they won't have any medicines on that are given by the hospital, any medicines on that are given by a dentist, any other type of healthcare professional. And importantly, they also won't have on things that patients buy over the counter for use themselves. So they are a good 
source of information, but by, they are by no means the whole picture. So we found that we had people in our study who had medicines being prescribed from different places and they were able to keep all that in a central record that they carried around themselves. And so then that was a more complete picture than the summary care record. I think also with this, it's really important that the summary care record is what's prescribed, whereas actually patients don't take medicines as the prescribers prescribe them particularly if you think about Parkinson's disease, the, the timings are um, dependent on the patient. Um, and so actually the, that key detail about when they're taken, the only place we can get that from is the patient themselves or their carers. And that's why we need something in addition to a summary care record, which is really valuable, but it doesn't give us all of the data. And the other thing about the summary care record is that um, it's not something that the patient themselves is able to edit in any way. So it doesn't really empower the patient to take control. And as well as this being important in terms of transferring information between healthcare professionals, we found that these records could also be an important tool for helping patients to keep a record of what they were taking and how to manage that process as well. Absolutely. And Sarah, I think one of the findings that was really interesting from this is that um, the people the with the patient held re, uh, records, sometimes the indication is often missing. And uh, one of the respondents uh, in your, your research said that they thought healthcare professionals would know what the particular medicines is being used for. Now, we know that it's absolutely vital um, in any kind of care that we know what that medication is being used for. So why do you think there is this disconnect in under, uh, the understanding of it? And what do you think that we can do about it in relation to the indication of the medicine? Yeah, so a lot of patients actually um, said that they didn't think that health, they, it would be offensive, they thought, to tell healthcare professionals what the medicines was being used for, because they thought that would be like saying, well, you don't know this information yourself. So the fact that they didn't know that one medicine can be used for lots of different purposes was what the barrier was. So I think the answer to that is to just explain to patients, you know, medicines can sometimes be used for more than one purpose. And it's really helpful for healthcare professionals to know which purpose your medicine is um, being used for so that they know to include that information without being um, worried about offending the healthcare professionals. I think this also brings in that from a time critical point, some medicines are time critical for some patients, but they won't be for others. And we don't know that. So this, the indication is really important, but that also gives us an, an indication of whether it's time critical for that specific patient. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, just to add uh, to that. And I think that's for two reasons. Partly, as you say, and as Sarah has said, it's the different indications. So, for example, an antibiotic might be used to treat an acute infection, or it might be used for long-term prophylaxis. Now, obviously, both of those are important, but it might be much more time critical if it's being started for an immediate acute infection, for example. And I'm sure all of us who are pharmacists will be able to think of lots of medicines that have multiple indications. I think the other thing where patient held records are useful was, as was alluded to earlier, in um, stimulating a conversation with the patient about how they take their medicines, but also what matters to them. And I think from a patient safety perspective, it's helpful sometimes to think about safety as 
sort of avoidance of physical harm, but also safety in terms of psychological safety. So if a medicine we might not think clinically is super time critical, but for the patient's psychological well-being, it's, it might be really important. And again, using patient held records can often stimulate those helpful conversations with the patient. Absolutely. It's something that we've really explored before about individualised care and the importance of that. We have to come back to um, our patient and, and find out what's best for them. Um, actually, Bryony, coming to you, um, our MSATS audience that are listening to this, um, they are fantastic at addressing barriers. Uh, that we find to improve medication safety. Um, so from the work that you've done, what barriers to using medication, uh, sorry, patient held medication records at the point of care, what are the barriers and, and how can we potentially overcome these? Oh, great question, Anna. That's so important. I think there's barriers at several levels. I think from a public point of view, as we've already um, alluded to, I think sometimes there's a perception that it's one NHS, that the information is all there. And obviously it should be all there. And that's something that we're aspiring to work towards. Um, but there's still gaps in that process where over the counter, complementary medicines, specialist medicines might not be there. So it's partly about communicating that um, it's really helpful even with the NHS systems that there are. It's really helpful for patients and carers to own and keep track of their own medicines. Um, so that's one um, potential barrier. There's also barriers at the sort of healthcare provider level as well. Um, healthcare professionals don't always ask patients if they've got a list of medicines, so they're not encouraging them to carry a list, or if they do carry a list, they might not be encouraged to show it in a clinic or in, at an admission to hospital. Unfortunately, I think not all healthcare providers show patients that they value that list. So if a patient brings a list of medicines and the healthcare provider is somewhat dismissive of that, that patient's probably not going to offer to show it to a healthcare professional again in the future. So I think for us as healthcare providers, it's showing that we value this information and that we want to use it um, is, is also really important. Um, so I think it's, it's largely about um, signposting. Um, I think the other thing that comes up is that patients might ask, you know, well, what tool should we use? Um, you know, is there a standard NHS thing we should be carrying? And I think my answer to that would be carry what works for you. Um, for some people, it's something on paper. For some people, it's notes on their phone. And I know Sarah's probably got some thoughts to add to this as well. Yeah, so just to bring in some real life examples of what Bryony was talking about, we have people who carry a list with them their whole time, every day of their life, but when they went into a consultation, never showed that list to the healthcare professional because they weren't asked for it and they didn't think that that would be valued. And that wasn't just one, it was several patients who told us that. And we also had an example of somebody who did show their record and the healthcare professional was not interested in looking at that record and didn't trust the information in it and said, actually, I just want to see your actual medicines. And that person said after that, that they didn't show their information again. So that really shows that the way that we respond as healthcare professionals will really determine people's behaviour in doing something that can help their medication safety. Thank you, Sarah. And that's a huge impact on me, um, you know, thinking about how the patients perceive this. And so it's probably quite important, Mike, if we can bring you in here now um, from a patient's perspective. You know, patients do think that 
the healthcare system knows the details of their medicines at each point that they interact with the healthcare system, but that's not necessarily the case. Can you give us a patient's perspective on that? Well, certainly my own perspective is that I'd love to think that all NHS records are fully up to date, accurate, shared throughout the health service and never subject, subject to any computer outages. But until this becomes a reality, patient held records, I think, are surely a valuable backup source and should be welcomed by the healthcare professionals. Also, um, the thrust of NHS policy, as I understand it, is towards patients taking more responsibility for their own care and keeping records is surely a valuable way in which patients can engage with their own care. Uh, and taking one other point, we're led to believe that the NHS wants to do things with us, not to us. And so being dismissive of patient input runs completely counter to this. Absolutely. So we need to change our direction and our way of thinking to ensure that we are thinking from a patient's perspective, individualised patient care and um, involving the patient. Um, so everything that we've discussed here, um, kind of the, the, the benefits, the barriers. Brian, if I can just ask you, if a system wants to focus on one thing, to implement at this stage um, to improve this situation and support the use of patient engagement and patient held records to support time critical medicines. What would you suggest? And I won't hold you to just one. You can you, you have free, you have free reign. But what would you what would be your suggestion? I'm really happy you said you weren't going to limit me to one because <laughs> I was going to be cheeky and say that I would have two things um, because I think we need to be looking at. Uh, number one, encouraging patients to use and carry um, patient-held medication records. So this is about um, potentially advertising campaigns. It's about increasing awareness. So the number one thing is aimed at patients and carers and the public. And the second thing is encouraging uh, healthcare professionals to suggest that patients carry records, to ask to see them in consultations and to show that they really value this kind of patient involvement. Thank you, Bryony. That's um, a very inspiring uh, couple of points I think that we can finish on. Um, and I would like to thank all of you. So Bryony, Sarah, Mike, thank you so much um, for sharing that experience that you've had with it, the outcomes um, and giving us that um, inspiration to take uh, the journey with this, with patient engagement and use of patient held resources. Um, so thank you very much again. Emma, just before we finished, um, so this was all very interesting and I think it's clear that we that promoting patient engagement, the use of patient held resources is a positive step in our journey to improve safety with time critical medicines. But um, we're both aware that this is just one part of a much bigger picture to tackle this issue. So Emma, we've spoken before with these complex issues, there's no one fix all solution. We need to take small steps. And before we wrap up as a frontline healthcare medication safety activists. Do you want to share with us a parting thought about, after listening to everything, what might be your first step? I think as a leader in my organisation, I'm going to make sure that I'm championing, championing uh, patient health records and discussing the importance of them at every opportunity. And I think really my main message to frontline staff is get from behind your computers and go and talk to the patients. Don't be relying on summary care record. Involve them in the discussion. 
regarding what format of patient health record is most appropriate for them and suits them and make sure that we are all advocating the use of these records and sharing the importance of how these support the system to then make sure that patients will get their time critical medicines on time every time. Fantastic. Thank, thank you, Emma. Um, so that just leaves me uh, with just to say that this podcast is just one resource that we've put together to support our upcoming MSATS webinar on time critical medicine. So if you haven't yet registered with that, you can do that on the SPS website. Um, you can opt in at any time to receive emails and updates from SPS about future events and resources on medication safety related topics. So it's a thank you from me. Thank you to everyone involved in this uh, podcast. Thank you very much. Goodbye.